Thank you so much, team, for leading us, and thank you, Davini, for uh, lighting the candle today, and uh, excited to jump in the Word. Luke chapter 2, if you have your Bibles, is where we'll be this morning, uh, Luke chapter 2, and as you're turning there, I uh, just kind of want to ask a question that if there, uh, if you've ever received a phone call in your life that completely changed the trajectory of your life, um, just along the way, uh, this, this, as I think about that question, getting that call that kind of changed everything uh, for our family specifically. I remember um, we had for uh, several months walking through uh, the, the search process here with First Baptist. And that was a, a joy to walk through that privilege with such an awesome team. And it was end of May, first of June-ish time. And, and we were, um, we went up to the Panhandle for family vacation up there. So where we were at, we were in Central Florida. So it was like six and a half hours to the Panhandle north going up to vacation. And so uh, we were there and it was on that, on that break there that I uh, got a call from uh, Doug Foster, the chairman, and, and it was at that time that, that the search team and, and for us just really felt like this was God's will, continuing to pursue this call here to serve, and, and so grateful and thankful uh, for that, and, and uh, talking with Doug, he's like, you know, you're you're halfway here, you want to just drive on up and, you know, to be able to visit in person. And, and I don't know about when y'all go on vacation, but typically it's like t-shirt, uh, shorts, flip-flops, like, you know, that, that's all you have. So I'm like, okay, I, what, I can't go like this up there, right? So our last day of vacation, we went to Dillard's and we got a collared shirt, got some jeans or some pants and, and, uh, almost got shoes, but it was like, I think this, my tennis shoes will work. We'll, we'll figure it out. But, but we came and they were very gracious and it was just, God was gracious through all that process and just so thankful to be here and to, uh, just be able to serve King Jesus here. And, and just thinking back, like getting that call and, and seeing this again, just the trajectory of our lives are changed. And, and in today's passages, we are really just being reminded of even the shepherd's role in the Christmas story, just just the call, like the call, the announcement of the ages came to this group of shepherds that were just in, I say a random field, but it wasn't random. It was a field in Bethlehem that was God's design, but that it was to these shepherds that the greatest news would come. And I love that about this story. These shepherds, uh, and and the, 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 the joy that is connected with the message that these shepherds receive, that's really the, the, the focus of our time in this text today as we, we light the joy shepherd's candle of Advent. It's just this reminder that we're almost, as we walk through Advent, we're kind of two weeks out from Christmas and it's almost like it kind of makes a, a, a turn a bit into just growing and anticipating the joy of Christ's coming and his celebration of his incarnation and birth. That with each day, Christmas impacts every day of our lives. But yet in this time of year, it's just we really focus on that. And so the joy increases with each day as we approach Christmas. And so I want us to look at Luke chapter 2 and verse 8 and kind of walk through this passage a little bit and really learn uh, how this joy affects shepherds and I believe 
how it has the same impact on us today. The Bible says this. It says, and in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field and they were keeping watch over their flock by night. Shepherds in the field, keeping watch over their flock at night. Now, shepherds at that time, especially that time, the shepherds would be the least likely to get any type of call announcement, anything of any importance that through the self-righteous religious rulers of the day, that in their self-righteousness, they would look at these shepherds and they would say, this is the most undeserving group to receive any kind of announcement, much less one of any importance. If you're looking at the social rank of that time, if you're looking greatest to least through the eyes of those who would see life in that, through that lens, the shepherds would be considered the least of these. When people looked at shepherds, they would think potentially these are uneducated people. They would think these are unskilled people. In a lot of ways, shepherds were not trusted. They were considered dishonest people. That if there was a courtroom situation happening, you would never call a shepherd to testify. Because in that day, when they saw a shepherd, they would be like, they can't be trusted. And so they're seen as uneducated, unskilled, dishonest, unreliable. In our day, we might call them shady characters. And, and, and this is the view of shepherd. If somebody is a, is a boss and they're hiring people, they're probably not going out to the fields to call shepherds. I mean, think about if you're the boss person and you're making that hire. What are the things you're thinking of? You want to see a resume. You want to see the experience. You want to see the track record. You want to see the education. You want to see has there been licenses or certifications. You want to do a thorough Q&A. You want to see what the strengths and weaknesses are. Are they high capacity leaders? You're looking for glowing references. When you give them a call, you want nothing but to hear, but like you have to hire this person. If, you're, if you've got a job opening, this is, this is what we would likely, this is what we would likely do. But I love that God's divine work, plan, order. Like, I love how he, in, in a way that, that displays his glory in ways that, that no other way can. What does God do? We maybe wouldn't choose them, but God does. I love that. God does and God did. God isn't interested in your impressive spiritual resume. He is looking for your response. He wants your heart. He's looking for those who are faithful. He's looking for those who are available. He's looking for those who are teachable. His message, I love it, and we're going to say it over and over today, is for all people, even who the self-righteous rulers of the day would consider the least of these. This is the gospel. I love how over and over in Scripture, God chooses the least likely to display his glory in ways that only he can. I believe this is in part why he chooses Bethlehem. Little, tiny, sleepy, quiet, unlikely Bethlehem. I believe that this is when he calls on Samuel in the Old Testament to anoint the next king of Israel. Son one, son two, son three, they line them up, they come through. Samuel says, no, is there another? Well, there's the youngest. There's the least. He's out in the fields. Out in the same Bethlehem fields that we're reading about. This is where 
David was anointed the next king. This is why I believe God uses slingshots to slay giants because it's a way that he gets glory in ways that no one else can take credit for it. God is displaying his glory. Sheep were, were a seven-day-a-week uh, job. <laughs> they're, they're in the flocks there at night, like 24 hours. The sheep, the sheep need tending to. And so with the seven-day-a-week care, shepherds could never make the man-made Sabbath rituals of the Pharisees. And so as a result... Because they couldn't, they couldn't meet this man-made ritual, then they were considered to be unclean. They were considered to be a less than unclean, unfit. And how could they ever have a relationship with God? They're shepherds. And this is one of the reasons why I love this story so much. And that the gospel came to them and the gospel is for all people is because he went to the what would consider to be the least. He went to the least. Again, maybe not the group we would call. I mean, if I'm writing the story of the Messiah coming, there's going to be trumpets. Uh, there's going to be parades. There's going to be a feast. There's going to be lots of, of just celebration. The, the king has come. The angels completely fit the story, but not the shepherds. And this is how God works. God works in ways that he alone gets the glory. That the gospel is for all people. In Isaiah chapter 61 verse 1, Isaiah, it's a messianic prophecy. This is hundreds of years looking ahead to the incarnation of Christ. And this is the same prophecy that Christ quotes reads from when he's in the synagogue in Nazareth. But here's what it says. Isaiah 61.1 says, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. Don't miss this, because he has anointed me. He's talking about himself. To bring good news. Who? To who? To the poor. He's come to bring good news to the poor. He's come to set He's come, he has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. God is on a rescue mission to rescue all of those in need. And guess what? Every single person is in need. Only some don't see it. Some don't see it. He's come to rescue. He comes to rescue the needy, the desperate, the lowly, the afflicted, the outcast, the people nobody talks to, the people nobody sits beside, the people that other people go on the other side of the hallway or the other side of the road. They see them coming. He comes to rescue people who don't have it all together. He comes to rescue people who don't can't save themselves. By the way, nobody can save themselves. He comes to rescue all who will come to him. And, and, I, and I love this because it could be that you're in the room today or you're watching right now. And, and some, of those, some of those descriptions we just lay out, you're like, I, I, need, I need to be rescued. I need to be rescued. I need a rescue. And so what happens is in this, what I believe was probably not so silent a night, at least it's fixing to be a not so silent night, that God does an incredible work. In verse 9 of Luke 2, the Bible says, An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. 
I say great fear. What does that mean? It means exactly how you read it. They were terrified. I mean, wouldn't you be? Wouldn't you be if you're a shepherd in the flock and it's night and all of a sudden an angel appears to you and starts talking? And not only that, the Bible says the glory of the Lord shone around them. So we're talking about the manifest presence of God in a very tangible way. God is making his holy presence known to these shepherds and they were terrified. They were terrified. When, when, when sinful man is in the presence, the manifest presence of a holy God, the, the, the reaction is the same every single time. It was the, 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 the being terrified of the shepherds. Isaiah, the same prophet I just read from. In Isaiah chapter 6, he says this. Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1 through 5. This is Isaiah prophesying, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. So he sees the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up. The train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face. With two he covered his feet. With two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory and the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called and the house was filled with smoke. Now you tell me what you would be feeling like in that moment. Isaiah wasn't like, and that's the end of the story. And he went on about his business. No, the, the, the passage continues. And here's what Isaiah says when he is in the manifest presence of God, he says, woe is me. Another translation say, I'm undone. Woe is me, for I'm lost. I'm a man of unclean lips. I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. I, I read that, and even in this moment, I'm just like, I'm so filled with hope because I know the day will come where I will see, where my faith becomes sight, and I see my king. I see the king who has come to rescue us and has come to rescue all the world who will place their faith and trust in him. John, the disciple in Revelation, he wrote the book of Revelation, Revelation 1, 17 and 18. John saw the manifest presence of God. It says this, he says, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. He just fell. We just sang a song and in that course, somewhere along the way, it was just this falling. John saw and he fell. This was his natural response. But I love this. The, the, the passage continues. He says, I, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead, but he laid his right hand on me saying, I love this. Fear not. I am the first and the last and the living one. I love that. That there's no reason to fear. There's no reason to fear. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Godly men, women are marked by reference, but those in Christ have no need to be terrified. This was the message of the angel in, ver angel in verse 10. It says, and the angel said to them, so here they go, they show up, they're terrified. The angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. They didn't need to fear. This was good news. This was not a message of judgment. This was a message of gospel. This was good news. And they came proclaiming the good news. Luke, the, the, the apostle that we're reading from, he, more than any other gospel writer, uses the word good news more than any of the others. 
Good news, good news, good news. It's because this good news is going to bring great joy. It's for all people. It's for the shepherds, and it's for us. It's for us. This good news is for all people, even us. Because it is very easy. It is very easy. It's a temptation. It can be a struggle where, where somehow we kind of can be tempted to see ourselves as maybe better than or more spiritual than or have it more altogether than. And we just kind of look around and we kind of can potentially start making ourselves feel pretty good because at least we're not doing this. And you fill in the blank. But as you look at the scripture, even the Ten Commandments, if we just walk through that and we start answering the question, has anybody in this room, have we ever put other little G gods before the one true sovereign God? Have we ever placed created man-made objects in the place of King Jesus? Have we ever not found our rest in him? Have we ever used the Lord's name in a way that would empty out its divinity or power or authority? Have we ever not honored authority? Have we ever harbored anger? Have we ever wanted things that don't belong to us? Have we ever longed for things that don't belong to us? Have we ever taken things that don't belong to us? Have we ever lied in our entire life? And when you start walking through that, we begin to see that not just that person or that people or the one that has that struggle or whatever. Like, listen, the ground is level. And the Bible says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, which is why this is good news for all people. It's for all people. People, joy, uh, Walker says this, joy comes in choosing to respond to external circumstances. That means whatever life may bring with inner contentment and satisfaction, because we know God will use every single experience to accomplish his work in and through our lives. This is where joy is found. Uh, Jack Wellman says joy is the emotion that is acquired by the anticipation and expectation of knowing God will do something great and wonderful with whatever it is. And I'm not too naive to think, matter of fact, I know that that anytime you gather any assembly of people, guess what? There is struggle in the room and there is there is hurt in the room. There is pain in the room. There's struggle in the room like we all need Jesus, and it is only through a relationship that we find this joy. And the good news, the gospel, gives that unexpressible joy. Because Christ has come to offer a payment for our sin, to make a way for man to have forgiveness of our sin, and to have peace with God through a relationship with Christ and Christ alone. Luke goes on to say in verse 11 of Luke 2, he says, For unto you, I love this, the angel talking to these shepherds, unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. The, the Galatians 4, in the fullness of time, God sent forth the Son. Like, this is the fullness of time. It's happened. It's right here. It's right here. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. The fullness of time had come. The day was here. All of history, the most significant announcement in the history of the world is happening right now and in the most unlikely of places, Bethlehem. 
Bethlehem. The angel describes the one that would be uh, born in Bethlehem. He gives three words that are very loaded and packed with meaning. They are Savior, Christ, and Lord. Savior, Christ, and Lord. The word Savior, it, it communicates to us that, that Christ is, is the only one who can save. Man's greatest need, mankind's greatest need is the need for forgiveness. The need for forgiveness. Man's biggest issue, sin. Our sin separates us from a holy God, deserving of eternal punishment. But the gospel is that Jesus came to rescue us, to save us. John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whosoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. The next verse, For God did not send His world into the world to condemn the world, but, that, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. He's the Savior, and He's the Christ. The Christ was a title. It was connected to Messiah, almost interchangeable. Christ, Messiah. He's the anointed one, the one we just wrote about, the one the prophet spoke about. He's the only one who can provide salvation. Last week, we talked about Herod and how he had gathered all the high priests and he gathered all the scribes and, and the wise men had come to say they were here to worship the king of the Jews, which was very bold of them to say in that moment. And, but, but what does Herod do? Herod, Herod, with all the scholars in the room, says, where is the Christ to be born? What he's saying is, where is the Messiah? Where's the Messiah to be born? He, he understood he's Christ's Savior. He's Christ and he is Lord. To call Him Lord means to, 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 to acknowledge that we are not. It's for us to take a servant role. It's for us to play a subservient role to the Lord in all of our lives. It's more than a title. Jesus, to say Jesus is Lord is to say that He is God. This is one of the most fundamental truths of all of, of, of Christianity is that Jesus Christ is God. It's in the scripture. He speaks it of himself. Jesus is Christ. So the question that we must ask is, is not even that has, has Christ, is Christ your Savior, but is Christ your Lord? Almost every Sunday, I, I find myself saying it almost every Sunday, but, but even wrapping up, it's just that great truth, Romans 10, 9. That, that, that for anybody who wants to be saved, God lays it out. He says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Lordship. And so the question is this, is have you ever repented of your sin and accepted Christ as Lord? As Lord, that subservient role. He goes on to say in verse 12, he says, And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger, a.k.a. feeding trough. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. I don't know how much a multitude is, but I'm thinking the sky in Bethlehem was lit up. And it was, it, was the, it was the glory of God. It was the angels. And what are they doing? They're praising. That's what angels do. At times in Scripture, they're messengers. But their role is to praise. They're praising God. They've, ever since their creation, been praising God. I want you to think about this moment. That, that, that this is not the, 
the first time that Christ has arrived on the scene. Christ is present through all the Scripture. It's the incarnation that He comes in this moment, but Christ is eternal. And so think about this. The angels had been praising Christ and for all, all of their existence, giving Him praise. And then here is the moment where they perhaps clued in that this is it. This is the fullness of time. And they're there and they're, they are worshiping. They're praising the fullness of time had finally come. We read in Scripture that angels celebrate. They celebrate and go wild when one sinner repents. Luke 15, verse 10 says, I just so, I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And I just see the angels just, just, just praising, praising, praising because the fullness of time had finally come they had worshiped christ up to this point and now they are praising him at his incarnation all for the glory of god the angels giving praise peace has come for all those who trust him verse 15 says when the angels went away Imagine the shepherds are collecting themselves at this moment. Like, oh my goodness, what, what happened? Again, verse 15 says, When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And I love that, I loved that last verse because, because the angels were the messengers. But they understood, they're like, God has been gracious and that this message is from the Lord. This message is to us. This message is from Him. He used the angels, but it's from Him. And, and in God's revealing Himself to the angels, their response, the shepherds, were, we must go to Him. We must go. And so as we even apply that to our lives, it's that God in His grace has made Himself known to us through His Word, even today, He's revealing Himself to you. And will we seek Him? Will we run to Him? Will it move us to even even closer relationship with Christ? Or for the first time, begin a relationship with Christ? Verse 16 says, And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told to them concerning this child. It says in the text that, and when they saw it, they made known this saying that had been told to them concerning this child. Verse 18, and all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds had told them. So we don't know who all was, 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 was in the company at that point. Bethlehem is a small place. News travels fast in a small place. And, and so no doubt the fact that a baby had been born in Bethlehem was making its way around. And so who knows who's around at this point. But here's what we do know. The shepherds were there and they were the first ones to give testimony of God revealing himself to them and the culmination of the Christ child. That the shepherds are in many ways the first evangelists. They are there and they are saying everything that they had seen. That when God does a work in our life or reveals himself in a powerful way that we are quick to tell others. The mark of joy is sharing with others about Christ. And in verse 18, again, it says, and all who heard it, they wondered at what the shepherds had told them. And I just wonder if that crowd, I don't know who was there, but I just wonder like 
how many of them wondered and then there was almost like a period at the end of that sentence and they just went on about their lives. That any time we come before the gospel, the word, we place ourselves in the path of the word, how many times is it like, wow, that's a powerful story. Wow, that's amazing. Wow, that's, that's wonderful. And yet we just kind of walk away from it and we just kind of go about our own business. But, 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 but what's happening here is that we would not just simply wonder and, and have awe, which we must, is, but this drives us closer to Christ. It drives us closer in our relationship with Christ and to share Him with others. Jesus performed many miracles in His time, and many wondered and were in awe, but many just walked away after that. It's only through Him that you can be rescued, can be forgiven, to have a relationship with Him. In verse 19, I love this, but Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. What a night for Mary. <laughs> what a life for Mary, okay? Young, young girl, and been entrusted with, with birthing the Son of God through being conceived by the Holy Spirit, the fulfillment of all the prophecy. There in Bethlehem, she's given birth to a son, and now the shepherds are there, and now perhaps others, and they're, they're all around. And, and even in the midst of what I can't even begin to imagine all Mary was processing that moment, that in the midst of all of that, the Bible says she treasured what had been revealed to her. Like she was in the midst of the even pain, processing what's going on, Son of God has been born. Like it's all happening. And, and in her heart, even through the midst of the, the, the crazy things that are happening, she's treasuring the heart. She's treasuring the word. She's treasuring the word of God. And so this is a strong, I believe, a very vivid discipleship lesson is that when we place ourselves before the word or under the word or or, or, or just listening to the word, whatever it might be, that it would be not that we just simply hear it, but that we would treasure it, that this is a gift. The word is a gift and that we would saturate our lives with this gift, treasuring the word of Christ. In verse 20, it says, and the shepherds returned. I don't know what time of day this was or exactly, you know, when, but, but, but the shepherds returned. And as they're going, the Bible says, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. And there it is again, God's faithfulness to deliver on his word. He does it every single time. He's faithful. And so they make their way and they're glorifying and they're praising God as they go. Bethlehem sits about six miles south of Jerusalem. And it's very, some would say mountainous, hills, you know, and so not sure where these shepherds' fields are, but no doubt they could potentially see Jerusalem in the distance. Now, today, if you were to go, they literally just, they just bump up right beside each other as the city has expanded. But it is possible that you see the Temple Mount in the background. It's possible that, you know, just over that hill is Jerusalem. And it's very likely that these shepherds who were watching these sheep it's very likely that the purpose for them tending these sheep was that these would be the lambs that would be sold, that would be purchased to be sacrificed in the temple by the Jews for, uh, for their, their sin offering. 
And so, so these lambs are, are being raised basically to be a sin offering for, to be made there at the temple. And I just wonder, I don't know, but I wonder at some point along the way if the shepherds wouldn't look in at their sheep and just deep down understanding, knowing that, that, that here before long there's going to be no more need for this. <laughs> That there's going to be no more need to raise these sheep, to sell these sheep, to be a sin offering in the temple for people. Why? Because Jesus Christ is the Lamb of God. He's the Lamb of God who came to take away the sin of the world. And He's the only one who could do it. John the Baptist, I love John chapter 129. The beginning of his earthly ministry, John the baptizer is baptizing, and then here comes Jesus, and John says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. This is who Christ is. And so Jesus Christ is the perfect, spotless Lamb. That He is the long-awaited, true Passover Lamb who would go to the cross and shed His blood so that we could be forgiven. And He's the only way. And this is why we can have joy. This is why we can have joy. He's the, he is the once and for all sacrifice for our sin. The Lamb of God. Jesus Christ was born to die. You think about that. The purpose in His incarnation was to die for the sin of the world. To make a way. That is how much God loves you. And desires to have a relationship with you. So as we back up from this story. And, and just I'd say. A, just an application for the believer's life. As a believer. The hope would be that. That we would be reminded again. Just by the grace of God toward us. That God has been gracious. To reveal himself to us. Through his word. And for many of us. We have multiple copies. For many of us. We now have access on our phones. We have at our fingertips the inspired, authoritative, divine word of God that is profitable for every area of our life. We have it. And the encouragement is, is that God has revealed himself to us. Would we seek him? Would we, would we move closer to him? Would we grow in our relationship with him? Will we treasure like Mary did the word? Would we treasure it? Would it not be just, you know, carry the same level of impact as as ingredient labels like just words on a page somewhere but that this is the life-giving life-breathing word of God and that we would treasure it and let's not let our flesh creep in and try to make it some kind of merit base like uh you know like like perfect attendance thing so we get extra points and God loves us more God's grace abounds but that we as believers would treasure his heart treasure his word and treasure relationship with Him. May we move closer to Him and also realize that, as Mary did, there's a grander, greater story going on. And just like for us, there's a grander, greater story going on. And He's entrusted us as believers to play a role in that. And to be evangelists just like the shepherds did. And then the encouragement, too, is for the person in the room who does not have a relationship with God. And, and there may be different reasons for that. But the, it is possible that you're in the room, maybe listening. And, and, and I mentioned how the shepherds were viewed as unclean. They were viewed as unworthy. 
They didn't have an impressive enough resume. They missed the Sabbath too much. Like, there's no hope for them. Listen, it's possible that you're here today and you feel unclean. You feel like you're not good enough. You feel like you need to get some things straight in your life before you surrender your life to Jesus. And the encouragement is that if you wait until that time, you will never get there. But God in His grace, God in His grace, God in His grace is extending a relationship to you to forgive you. God is the only one who can make an unclean person clean and still be clean. We see that as He healed the lepers and he, he, he divinely orchestrated events in ways that only He can. He is the rescuer. And so my encouragement is, is that there is a place for you in the kingdom. There's a place for you in the family. And not only that, but just like these shepherds, there's a significant role and mission that He has for you on this planet. And you don't want to miss out. Let's pray together. Father, thank You for Your Word. God, thank You for this text. Thank You for the joy that comes in the midst and regardless of circumstance. It's that deep-seated contentment to know that you use all things for our good and for your glory. God, I pray for believers in the room, perhaps who have been walking with Jesus many, many years, maybe recent, recent uh, converts, giving their heart to Jesus, wherever, wherever they are as believers, God, that, that we would not, not take for granted what you have entrusted us, that you have, you, revealed, you have revealed yourself through your word and that we would treasure your word and not just hear it, not be just hearers of the word, but be doers of the word, not in our strength, but in your strength. And God, I pray for someone who may be here today that maybe they feel used. Maybe they feel unclean. Maybe they feel they don't have a, a spiritual enough um, resume to be accepted. But let us be reminded that in Bethlehem, the greatest news of all time came to the shepherds and that the angel said, this good news is for all people, even you. So may the whispers of the enemy be silenced. And may today you acknowledge your need for Christ, repent of your sin. It's a change of mind. It's a change of direction. And believe Christ was crucified on the cross for your sin, placed in the tomb, and rose from the dead. And the Bible says that if you repent and receive Christ as Lord, you will be saved. God, I pray that you would find our hearts sensitive, open, and Father, that we would give you all of the glory for this great news that brings great joy for all people. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 As we wrap up this morning, we're just going to have a time of response. And so even with each Sunday, we just always want you to know that as a pastoral staff, we're here to serve. And so even now, if you're like, I want, I would, would you pray for me? I just need somebody to pray for me. I want to come to the altar, pray. I'm going to make your pew the altar, whatever that looks like. That would we give our full attention to the voice of the Holy Spirit and just rest and adore God for all He's done.